Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware. We have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit. But frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Ellen, your Gryffindorable host, with a slew of stuff to cover today as we start the first chapter of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. This chapter gives us a recap of the previous stories, as well as sets up some fun little plot points and foreshadowing for the rest of the story. As Prisoner of Azkaban is seriously our favorite book and movie, we are extremely excited to start this one. We've decided to let our introductions reflect the content we have to cover for this section, so without further ado, here's Katie. Hey. That's it? Yep. Let's just roll right into the rolling rehash. Last week, we compared the American and the British versions of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets and officially finished the second story. In it, Harry's baggage of a-holes continues to be as pleasant as ever. Dobby is adorable, but Harry doesn't have time for his cryptic shit. Molly Weasley is mom goals. Lucius is luscious, but also a giant douche. Harry and Ron prove that 12-year-olds should not drive cars, flying or otherwise. Lockhart is an appendix. Ron puking up slugs somehow distracts us from Oliver Wood, and for that we have yet to forgive him. Harry hears voices and can talk to snakes, but Hermione, as the ultimate authority on normality in the wizarding world, reckons he's just crazy. Filch's excessive attachment to his cat has him ready to commit murder. Quidditch is dangerous, even for the spectators, when Harry can't get away from the murder ball, but it's ultimately forced instant osteoporosis that lands him in the hospital wing. Hogwarts begins a very dangerous game of freeze tag. Dumbledore has no idea how to handle a camera. Lockhart starts a dueling club, but really only succeeds in teaching students how to get knocked on their asses. Harry keeps trying to hold hands with petrified students, and it only gets weirder the more he does it. Hermione spends most of the time brewing a potion that really does more damage than good, especially where any latent cat allergies are concerned. Books found in the bathroom should probably be left there. Tom Riddle has some impressive penmanship, but his storytelling skills can be a little one-sided. Hagrid continues his tradition for befriending the nopiest of creatures. If you love your car, let it go. If it returns to save you from giant man-eating spiders, it's yours. But if it doesn't, well, then you're just fucked. And Slytherin's monster is luckily not nearly as dirty as its name would lead you to believe, but in the end it was still brought down by a preteen boy, a songbird, and an old hat. During episode 37, I Will Survive, our Potter pondering was, what were your favorite parts from the episodes covering Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets? Dave said it was by far the rhyming and the moaning Myrtle poetry, plus the I Will Survive song. Jackson also enjoyed the moaning Myrtle poetry and loved my rant. This is of course why Jackson is one of my favorite keepers. Ten points to Jackson for sheer good taste. (laughs) Carly shared the... Shirley Temple giggling gif over Tommy in the nope rope, (laughs) which is absolutely perfect. I love that gif. Mm -hmm. So cute. And in general, we got a lot of appreciation for our overall format, our banter, and we've been ordered to keep up the good work. 
Thank you so much for all the compliments. We do bask in them. <laughs> yep. Our keepers are our favorite part. Definitely. Our trivia question last week was, In Prisoner of Azkaban, what was the title of Harry's History of Magic essay? The essay was entitled, Witch Burning in the 14th Century Was Completely Pointless. Discuss. Congratulations goes to Sam Jane for being the first person to get it correct with the code word. Sam also added on some extra hashtags. Hashtag HHW is boring and hashtag stop student torture. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can't say I disagree. Holiday homework is boring. Exactly. Even as a teacher, I would say that it's student torture. (laughs) We also want to give a shout out to Jackson for answering correctly as well. Yeah, he's got the answers. One of these days, he's going to get in there first. Definitely. Thank you for playing along. Yep. And now it is time to officially start our favorite book and movie of the series, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. So let's just keep rolling into chapter one, Owl Post and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter one, Owl Post. Harry Potter is extremely unusual because he hates summer holidays really wants to do his homework, but must do so secretly in the middle of the night, and he's a wizard. It's nearly midnight and he's under his blankets, working on an essay about witch-burning in the 14th century being completely pointless, because if a real witch or wizard was caught, they could perform a flame-freezing charm and just pretend to be burning. Harry carefully writes out what he read in his History of Magic book, making sure the Dursleys don't hear him or he will likely find himself locked in the cupboard under the stairs for the rest of the summer. The Dursleys are the reason Harry doesn't enjoy the summer holidays, because they are muggles who don't approve of magic. Harry didn't even know he was a wizard until two years earlier, on his 11th birthday. He spent the last two school years at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, But during the summers, the Dursleys lock up his school things, which makes it hard for him to keep up with his holiday work. But at his first chance, Harry picked the lock on the cupboard under the stairs and snuck out some of his school books to hide in his bedroom and work at night. He's already in trouble with them because of a phone call from one of his best friends, Ron Weasley. Ron didn't know how to use a phone and yelled so loudly into it he startled Vernon, who had answered When he realized it was a friend of Harry's from school, he denied Harry Potter lived there and told Ron never to contact him again. Ron didn't call again, and neither did Harry's other best friend, Hermione Granger. Harry's summer isn't shaping up to be that great, though he is at least allowed to let his snowy owl, Hedwig, out at night. As Harry works on his essay, he realizes he's been 13 years old for a full hour. He doesn't usually look forward to his birthday because the Dursleys largely ignore it. He walks to the window past Hedwig's empty cage and looks out, hoping she will be back soon. She's the only living creature in the house that doesn't flinch at the sight of him, a skinny, bespectacled boy with untidy black hair, green eyes, and a thin scar shaped like a lightning bolt. For ten years, the Dursleys had pretended the scar was from a car crash that killed his parents. But at eleven years old, Harry learned the truth that it was from the most feared dark wizard, Lord Voldemort, who had killed Harry's parents and tried but failed to kill Harry too. Harry was left with the scar, and Voldemort fled, barely alive. He'd come face to face with him since being at Hogwarts, and feels lucky that he's even made it to his 13th birthday. 
As Harry looks out the window, he sees a strange lopsided creature flying towards him and eventually realizes it's two owls holding up a third unconscious owl. They soar through the window and Harry recognizes the unconscious owl as the Weasley's family owl, Errol. The other two owls were Hedwig and a tawny owl from Hogwarts. All three bore packages. Harry unties them and puts Errol in Hedwig's cage where he gulps water. Hedwig joins him and the Hogwarts owl flies off while Harry opens his first ever birthday card and presents. In the card from Ron, Harry finds a letter and a newspaper clipping from the Daily Prophet that says Arthur Weasley won the annual Daily Prophet Grand Prize Galleon Draw, and they use the money to take a summer holiday in Egypt visiting their eldest son, Bill, who works for the Gringotts Wizarding Bank. The picture included with the article shows Mr. and Mrs. Weasley and their six sons and one daughter in front of a large pyramid. Ron's letter wishes Harry a happy birthday and includes an apology about the shouting phone call and a description of Egypt, the pyramids, and the mutant skeletons in them because of the curses the ancient Egyptian wizards put on them. He says they won 700 galleons and most went to their trip, but his parents were going to get him a new wand for the school year and suggests they meet in Diagon Alley a week before term starts. In the PS, he also mentions that Percy is head boy. Harry opens his present and finds a miniature glass top and another note from Ron saying that it is a pocket sneakoscope that lights up and spins when someone untrustworthy is around. Harry sets it aside and opens the parcel Hedwig brought him to find a present, card, and letter from Hermione, who is on holiday in France and wasn't sure how to get the present she owl ordered for him when Hedwig turned up. She asks if he saw the pictures of the Weasleys and mentions the local witchcraft history there as well, saying she has rewritten her essay to include it. She also suggests meeting in London the week before term starts in hopes that he can make it, as well as the news of Percy being head boy, saying Ron doesn't seem too happy about it. Harry laughs and sets the letter aside to open his present, expecting a book, but instead finding she got him a broomstick servicing kit. As the youngest seeker in a century on Gryffindor's Quidditch team, one of Harry's most prized possessions is his Nimbus 2000 racing broom. He sets the kit aside and turns to the last package, which is from the Hogwarts gamekeeper, Hagrid. He begins to unwrap it and it gives a strange quiver and a snap like it has jaws. He carefully opens it the rest of the way and finds a green book with a golden title that says Monster Book of Monsters. The book then flips on its edge and scuttles sideways. Harry tries to pick it up, but it snaps at him until he throws himself on top of it and then grabs a belt to put around it. He reads Hagrid's note and, to his concern, finds out that Hagrid thinks the biting book will be useful for the school year. Along with the letter from Hagrid, Harry also finds a thicker envelope containing information about the start of the school year and a permission slip to visit Hogsmeade, the entirely wizarding village. Harry isn't sure how he will be able to persuade his Uncle Vernon or Aunt Petunia to sign the form, but decides to worry about it later and heads to bed, crossing off another day on the chart he made to count on his return to Hogwarts. For the first time in his life, he was glad it was his birthday. The movie starts out with a black screen and Hedwig's theme song. In the center of the screen, a small square lights up with a magical sound effect. The camera pushes in as the sound effect continues and the light gets bigger, showing that it is coming through a window. The Warner Brothers logo appears and the camera zooms through it. The window lights up again as Harry Potter's voice says, Lumos Maxima. Transitioning into Harry's room through the window, we see that the light is coming from under a bedsheet. 
Harry appears to be sitting under it, again saying, Lumos Maxima, and the light flickers on and off. He hears a noise outside of his room, pulls the sheet off of his head, and lays down, pretending to be asleep. Uncle Vernon opens the door and turns on the light, looking around, but seeing nothing out of the ordinary. He turns off the light and closes the door. Once in the clear, Harry sits back up and returns to saying, Lumos Maxima. Under the sheet, we can see the magic book that he is looking at to practice the spell. He tries several more times and eventually his wand lights up with an extremely bright light that transitions out the window and into the title, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, and then back into the bedroom where Harry lays back down just before Uncle Vernon opens the door and turns on the lights a second time. He looks around extremely confused and again turns the lights off and closes the door. Harry glances back at the door and rolls back over to go to sleep. You and your one paragraph summary. We stretched it out as far as we could. Describing every little thing. (laughs) (laughs) It was a little box of light. It got bigger. (laughs) I had to give you something to do. I had a good nap during yours. Right. (laughs) Obviously, there isn't much to compare and contrast in the first chapter and opening scene of this movie. Partially because the movie scene wasn't even two minutes long. We ran into this in Chamber of Secrets as well, because the first chapter includes a good portion of recapping the previous story to make sure it's fresh as we dive into the next one, which is totally a book thing to do. Yeah, movies and TV shows might include a previously on section prior to it starting, but it really doesn't get written into the story so separately at the beginning. When they feel the viewers need a reminder of a character or storyline, movies tend to include it more organically than a full summary in the opening. Which, full summary, is exactly what the book does. Mm -hmm. We get reintroduced to the unusual boy that is Harry Potter, relearn that he is a wizard who lives with his awful aunt and uncle, and that he has two best friends, Ron Weasley and Hermione Granger, as well as a snowy owl named Hedwig. The movie does give us a very clear impression that Harry is unusual and a wizard, since it starts out with him practicing magic under his sheets in the middle of the night. Which, which before you interrupt me with magic outside of Hogwarts, blah, 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 we will get to that. (laughs) The film also does give us the impression that he lives with awful people because fuck you, Uncle Bag of Assholes, for turning on the light in Harry's room. That's a dick move, and I hate being woken up by bright lights. I mean, I know Harry was faking it, and it wouldn't actually wake him up as he, you know, wasn't sleeping, but it's the goddamn principle of it. It does effectively demonstrate that he lives with satchels of assholes, which is definitely something the chapter took the time to remind us of. Yeah. In general, the movie already has a much darker and more ominous feel than the first two. Which I think works so well artistically for this story. It's when the full series itself starts to get darker. And the first two books still kind of feel like kid books to me, but The Prisoner of Azkaban really starts to mature. Plus, the story itself, though obviously intertwined with and sets up the remaining stories, stands alone the best, as it's the only one that doesn't have Harry face Voldemort in some way. Which is exactly why I love that they chose Alfonso Cuaron to direct this one. He has a really amazing artistic ability about him. He really does. I love him so much. All the all the other movies I've seen that he does, he takes his films to like a whole nother level mm-hmm. that I just think is amazing. We'll talk a little bit more about this when we talk about the new actors, too. Yeah, I actually love that this film has a very different feel from the rest of them, because in my opinion, the book has always had a different feel from the rest, too. 
which we'll obviously discuss more in depth each week as we go through the story. Obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as we shared when we did our Harry Potter 30-day challenge on our Facebook page in June, Prisoner of Azkaban book and movie are both of our favorites, along with Alfonso Cuaron being our favorite director. Mm-hmm. But the challenge also showed us that not as many people share that view, and that was very interesting to us since we wholeheartedly agree on this matter. Yeah, we're actually, we're going to make this a Potter pondering for this episode because we would really like to know your thoughts about it as we go through and discuss the story. Yep. But back to the chapter and film scene at hand. The book also reminds us that Harry is a skinny, bespectacled boy with untidy black hair, green eyes, and a lightning bolt scar on his forehead. Being a visual experience, the movie clearly shows us what Harry looks like. He still doesn't have green eyes, but he's pretty skinny, has the glasses and the scar, and Harry finally has hairy hair! Harry, hairy hair! Very hairy, hairy hair! (laughs) (laughs) Very hairy, hairy hair. It's still not actually black. No. But at least it is genuinely sticking out in all directions. Yeah, I mean, it's close enough at this point. Definitely untidy, as the book describes. Another similarity between the two, and basically the last similarity in this section, is the (laughs) fact that in the book, Harry is also up in the middle of the night doing homework under his blankets. Okay, but seriously... I can't be the only perv who, like, giggled inappropriately at the 13-year-old boy playing with his wand under the covers, right? Like, air quotes around wand. I mean, that's not how it happened in the book, since he was writing an (laughs) essay entitled Witch Burning in the 14th Century was Completely Pointless Discuss, and not, er, playing with his wand. Okay, yeah, that's totally dirty. Right? And the more he waves it, the brighter it gets? I mean, paging Dr. Freud, hello? I'm just saying. But side note, which burning in the 14th century was completely pointless to discuss was the answer to our trivia question last week. Sure was. Mm -hmm. But as I mentioned before, this is where the similarities between the book and the movie both begin and end. (laughs) Because that's all it is. It's literally it. Literally, that's it. The book also lets us know that it's officially Harry's 13th birthday and gives us a little refresher on Voldemort killing Harry's parents and trying but failing to kill Harry too, leaving himself all but destroyed and Harry with the scar. It specifically mentions that Harry is lucky to have made it to his 13th birthday. He then looks out the window and sees a strange lopsided shape flying towards him, which turns out to be Hedwig and another owl carrying packages and an unconscious Errol, who's the Weasley family's old owl. None of that was shown in the movie, which is literally just Harry playing with his wand under the covers. (laughs) (laughs) Giggity. Right. Though there is a drawing of an owl on Harry's closet door, which, I mean, I always thought it was kind of weird, if I'm being honest. But, I mean, I guess he probably doesn't have much else to do but draw his owl. And play with his wand. (laughs) And play with his wand. (laughs) telling it's gross anyways so the owls brought harry's birthday presents from ron hermione and hagrid he also received his hogwarts information for the start of the school year which includes a permission slip for the third year students to be allowed to go to hogsmeade much of this information does get mentioned in later scenes in the movie so we'll end up talking about it then 
Yeah, but at this point of the book, we actually read about what Harry receives. Mm -hmm. Ron sent him a pocket sneakoscope and a letter that includes a newspaper clipping about the Weasleys winning a bunch of galleons and going on a trip to visit Bill in Egypt. Which does get referenced later. Yeah, though not quite in the same amount of detail, especially with the sneakoscope, since Ron also mentioned in his letter that Bill thought it was broken. Since it's supposed to light up when someone untrustworthy is around, and it kept lighting up at dinner... But Bill didn't realize that Fred and George put beetles in his soup. <laughs> oh, those yeah. wacky Fred oh, and George. those wacky Weasleys. <laughs> wacky Weasleys. <laughs> yeah, the sneakoscope is only mentioned in a deleted scene, actually, and has a completely different introduction into the story that then doesn't even get used. Which is a shame because it really offers a subtle foreshadowing clue to the story. I really wish they would have left it in. Same. Another thing that never gets mentioned is how, at the end of Chamber of Secrets, Harry gave Ron and Hermione the Dursley's phone number, and Ron tried to call, but just shouted in the phone and seriously upset Vernon. Which, I mean, as hilarious as that would have been to see, with the darker direction the movie is taking, I don't think it would have given the right, I don't know, the right feel to the opening of the film, you know? I think you're right. They really just chiseled it down to the bare bones of how the book opened, of course, then it also had to add some illegally used magic. Okay, yes. Harry wasn't supposed to use magic outside of school, but I understand why they did it. We've talked about this in the opening of the previous two films as well, with Sorcerer slash Philosopher's Stone. They specifically started it out on Dumbledore putting out the streetlights with magic. Bam. Magic. Exactly. Then, in Chamber of Secrets, the opening shot has magical moving pictures, and within a few minutes, a house elf is jumping on Harry's bed. I mean, it's not quite a BAM magic moment, but it still creates enough of a curiosity in the world to draw the viewer in. Okay, so it admittedly does draw the viewer in. Aesthetically, it gives a very dynamic introduction with the flickering light and the way it transitions into this title screen, then back to Harry... So artistically, I do understand the choice. With the visual and Hedwig's theme, once again, creates all the chills. Just chills. I don't disagree with you there. Chills, though. I would literally have zero issue with it if it didn't create a contradiction in the story itself. And not just from the books. This isn't a that's not how it happened in the books situation. I mean, it is, but it's not just that. <laughs> because it contradicts... Previous films, later films, as well as specifically within Prisoner of Azkaban itself, since they make reference to the fact that Harry isn't allowed to do magic outside of school, yet they open the movie with him doing magic outside of school. But let's be honest, watching Harry write an essay under the covers would not have been near as interesting of a start. I think we should make this a Potter pondering, actually. I would love to hear what our keepers think about this. Yeah, me too. Because there are obvious problems with it, but it does grab your attention quickly. So it'd be nice to get other perspectives out there besides our own. Mm -hmm. Though it still seems to me that two flying owls carrying packages and a third unconscious owl could have also made a very dynamic intro. That's very true. Plus, we also would have gotten to see Harry get his first ever birthday presents. Because in addition to the Sneakoscope from Ron, he also gets a broomstick servicing kit from Hermione. Which we don't see in the movie at all. Which is a shame, because it was a pretty awesome gift, actually. Yeah, and funny because Harry was convinced that it would be a book coming from Hermione mm -hmm. and was pleasantly surprised to find the kit. It mentions that his broomstick is one of his most prized possessions. 
Which is also kind of a bit of foreshadowing that doesn't get included in the movie. Yeah, we will definitely be talking more about that in later episodes. In their letters, both Ron and Hermione mention trying to meet up in Diagon Alley the week before term starts. Which they do end up doing in the movie, though it is in a prearranged meeting. Yeah. Harry also receives the Monster Book of Monsters as a birthday present from Hagrid, with a note saying he thinks Harry will find it useful. And Harry finds a green leather book with gold lettering that tries to bite him and ends up having to belt it shut. This leaves him very worried about what kind of creature Funkle Hagrid is going to have them help out with this year. We will see the Monster Book of Monsters later on, though its origin is portrayed differently in the movie, and we'll talk more about that then. Yep. Along with Hagrid's gift and letter, Harry also receives his back-to-school information, which includes a permission slip to visit Hogsmeade on certain weekends. Harry's disheartened because he has no idea how he'll get his aunt or uncle to sign it for him, and he ultimately decides to worry about it later, so he marks a day off his calendar counting down his return to Hogwarts and rolls over to go to sleep. It says that for once he's actually glad that it's his birthday. This is basically how the movie ends this section, too, though without the mention of Harry's birthday. After we see the title screen, it transitions back to Harry, who pretends to be asleep again as Uncle Bag of Assholes turns the lights on and apparently sleeping Harry again! What a dick. Seriously. But once again, he sees nothing out of the ordinary and just turns off the lights and closes the door again. Harry just glances over his shoulder to see that he is gone and then settles down to sleep as the scene transitions to black. Vernon Dursley is clearly not smart enough to turn off the light, close the door, but stay in the room. Clearly not. Though that would have been kind of funny. Did you ever see the video of the little girl who's in bed playing on a phone or a tablet or something? She hears her father coming and she jumps out of bed to turn off the light, then runs back to bed and hops in and pretends to be asleep. And her dad comes in the room, like tucks her in, and then pretends to leave. He just closes the door and hides in the corner. <laughs> and the little girl jumps up again, turns on the light, and sees her dad and immediately starts to pretend like she's sleepwalking, like, with her arms out. <laughs> oh my god. That's adorable and kind of hilarious, since Harry later in the film tells Snape he was sleepwalking when he was caught out of bed. <laughs> right? That's kind of what made me think of it. But it is a super cute video. I'll find it and post it on our page so you all can see it. Well, that officially brings us to the end of our compare and contrast section. Since it's a new film, we will once again be talking about the actors as we see them again or meet them for the first time. Yep. For this scene, there isn't a ton to talk about since we only see two actors and they barely get to do anything as the scene is less than two minutes long. Mm -hmm. But we do get to see Daniel Radcliffe's return as Harry Potter. I don't know that I would have watched it if they had tried to replace Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah, a change in the title character would have been really tough to swallow. And as we mentioned before, we are super pleased that Harry finally has very hairy, hairy hair. That sounds so weird, but I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Very hairy, hairy hair. Yes, it actually looks messy. I just love it. This is the movie of the best hairstyles ever. It is definitely the best hairstyles, but it's like the best hairstyles slash the overly hairsprayed hairstyles. Well, yes. Because they don't move. Like, their hair doesn't move. Yeah. It's like hair that's trying too hard to look messy, but you know what? It works and I don't care. I don't care how they got there. Right? (laughs) Harry's hair is sticking out in every direction and that's what needed to happen. Mm Mm-hmm. I just love it. I love this movie so much. I'm sorry. My (laughs) bias is showing. I don't even care. It's all right. It's all right. But to actually talk about Daniel Radcliffe. 
I mean, I mean, he didn't do a lot. He he fake slept the shit out of that scene. He really did. It was convincing. Was I thought excellent. he was asleep. I thought he was too. I was like, holy crap. Oh my gosh, is he in a coma? <laughs> yeah. He jumps up and you're like, oh shit, he's awake. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, even the way that he was delivering his spell, like that he wasn't supposed to be doing, but whatever, we're, we're going to move beyond that because <laughs> we're going to move beyond that, Ellen. And... <laughs> But so, you know, he's under the covers, he's reading, he's using the, like, regular lit up wand tip, because he did regular Lumos, I assume. Not that Lumos Maxima even existed in the book, but we'll move beyond that one as well. But the wand is lit up, and he's just trying to make it brighter, which is what I assume Lumos Maxima does, since... You would think, yeah. Lumos plus... It said something about extreme spell on the book as well. So, but you could see like, you know, the way that he was delivering that line, he's trying to get it brighter and it wasn't working. And you could, you could actually feel his frustration Mm -hmm. that apparently eventually fueled him actually getting the spell correct to transition into the title seed. Bam! Dynamic wrongness. Boom! Dynamic wrongness. (laughs) (laughs) There are very few things that I actually complain about from this film. I love it so much. That's just one of them. Yeah. I agree. I mean, don't get me wrong. I fully agree with you. I agree he shouldn't have been doing magic outside of Hogwarts because it doesn't make any damn sense. But again, like we said, it just, it worked. Chill inducing. It worked. Yeah. It just, it If you don't think too hard, it looked cool. It grabbed your attention. (laughs) If you waited like a month between reading the book and seeing the movie, you don't really notice the difference. But you do at the same time. Like I said, but But you you do. do. Fine. (laughs) Okay, fine. I'm just, I'm making excuses just because I love very hairy, hairy hair. Okay? Sorry. I love it. It's the first episode. We'll get all of this out of our system and then we'll get to rave about the rest of it. To get us back on Daniel Radcliffe, though, himself, like, it's so fun to see him grow as an actor. And it's so, it's so funny to watch prisoner of azkaban and then watch his like newer movies like oh my god you just saw guns akimbo right right you just recommended that so we watched it yeah and i just i had to turn around and tell my brother to watch it first of all daniel radcliffe does a phenomenal american accent right he doesn't even sound like himself honestly it's so crazy and he gets so into his characters I feel he's like. so funny mm-hmm the movie Guns Akimbo is fucking hilarious, and if you haven't seen it yet, you should watch it. Honestly. If nothing else, it's because Daniel Radcliffe is in it, but it's basically Scott Pilgrim if it were a Black Mirror episode. It's brilliant. It's really And incredible. fucking hilarious. Yeah. I was a little bit nervous going into it because Daniel Radcliffe, I mean, he said in interviews before, basically, he took all of his Harry Potter money, put it in the bank. And he lives off of that, so that way he can do any project he wants. He doesn't have to worry about, like, how much money something's going to make at the box office. He actually chooses his roles and his the things that he goes for based solely on how he feels about them, which I love. Yeah, and he has been picking some really cool indie films, mm-hmm. like Horns as well. He Horns. was phenomenal in that. Swiss Army Man was really yeah. good. But a lot of them, here's the thing, a lot of them... I can't make my husband sit down with me and watch i had him watch swiss army man and he was kind of like you're never recommending another movie to me ever this was too (laughs) weird i can't do it (laughs) 
And so when he comes in the house the other day and I'm watching Guns Akimbo, he's like, is that Danny Radcliffe? And I was like, yeah, it's, it's his new movie. And he goes, nope, nope, it's going to be too weird. And I got him to sit down for five minutes and he was hooked. Right. That's all so it So it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. You should watch it. Daniel Radcliffe yeah. is phenomenal. I mean, he was so good. He was so cute when he was 11 and 12. But as a 13-year-old, mm. you can, like, he's really starting to come into a lot of his own even more. Yeah. And we'll see more really of is. that throughout this film and then the rest of this series, of course. That's what I love. And two, 13, well, he was like 13, 14 when they, when they filmed this. Mm-hmm. It's a crucial time for a child actor between, okay, is he always going to look like he's 11 or is he going to grow out of that? And I think this is the moment where he starts growing out of looking like an 11 year old do you know what i mean yeah like the kid from love actually he still looks exactly the same he does and it's he, kind- he, he's like a he's like a taller skinnier version of that kid yeah but he's the same kid because he was in game of thrones yeah and i yeah. recognized him immediately i'm like why does that kid look so familiar exactly it, but he looks exactly the but same his face is did. the same mm-hmm. or it's even worse when they get up to be adults like the kid that played what beans on even stevens Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he looks exactly the same, except he's bald and, like, has some facial hair, and it's really fucking weird. Yeah, it messes with you. So Daniel Radcliffe, though, this is kind of the movie where you're like, okay, he is growing out of that. He's not just going to look like 11-year-old Harry Potter forever. He matures with his acting skills. He does. It's nice. I was happy for him Mm -hmm. that he wasn't just going to get pigeonholed. Yes. We also see the return of Richard Griffiths as Uncle Bag of Assholes. I mean, Uncle Vernon. <laughs> Again, I'm glad for the continuity of the actor. Mm-hmm. I really liked him in this role. Whenever I read the parts with the Dursleys in them, I always feel like I'm reading a caricature of a person rather than an in-depth character. It just feels like we're supposed to hate them. So they're strictly painted as hateful people with no other redeeming qualities. So we have no other choice but to dislike them. I agree. And they kind of need to be that way, too. I mean, how can you have sympathy for the devil? Who are complete dicks. Yeah. Not to quote Rolling Stones <laughs> lyrics, but yeah. <laughs> it's, so it's now it's the Just Keep Rolling Stones. The Just Keep Rolling Stones. <laughs> Where we have sympathy for the Dursleys. Oh, wait, no, we don't, because they're bags of assholes. Satchels of assholes. But I feel like Richard Griffiths nailed this portrayal because mm-hmm. his reactions, both vocal and facial expressions, really enhanced my view of them as caricatures and not actual people. Yeah. Like, he was almost comic about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, and, and he didn't have much to do in this opening scene. But he said a lot with his face. Yeah, he had no lines, and yet he still was able to portray a bag of assholes. Like, like even just the way he walked into the room. He walked into the room like he owned the place. But well, I mean, technically he does. But <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but I just mean he walked into the room like he was just. He was so sure Harry was doing something wrong. Yeah, he was itching Which he was, to be but... able to yell at Harry. Right. Like he was itching for it. He, like, walked in there like, I'm going to catch that little fucker. <laughs> and then he opens the door and he's like, oh. Nothing's weird. Well, fine. Fine. Close fine. the door. I'll just and leave. then the second time there was just extreme confusion on his face. Yeah. And, but his face could really say a lot. Mm-hmm. I agree. 
Another thing we want to talk about a little more in depth before we move on is the change of directors from Chris Columbus to Alfonso Cuaron. Since we already established that he's our favorite director and decided to make it a Potter pondering to get your opinions on him as well. I think that it's wonderful. Chris Columbus was a great director. He did really well with the first two. And he 100% brought it alive. Yeah, he did. He is definitely more whimsical. Mm hmm. I mean, like, he did Home Alone. Like, yeah. he is whimsical. Yeah. He's, and he's feel-good movie. He's not... Right. I don't necessarily associate him with the grittiness that needed to no. be in Prisoner of Azkaban. And Alfonso Cuarón, like, he also did The Little Princess. Love that movie. And that movie is just... It's also really dark. Yeah. But it's also a children's movie. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And the cinematography is amazing, and it's it's magical. Yeah. And when I found out that that's who was directing the third one, I was thrilled, because that Little Princess was the movie that anytime I was homesick, that is what I would watch. Yeah. <laughs> Little Princess. I loved that movie. And I was young enough then that I didn't realize anything about directors at all. But I <laughs> there was a lot that I could acknowledge about the film being incredible. Yeah. And when so when I was old enough to put two and two together and come up with, oh, that's the dude that did this and he's doing this and that's my favorite one. This is going to be incredible. Yeah. <laughs> but he creates these magical worlds. Yeah. On screen. And it just, I feel like of all of the films, he had the best vision mm-hmm. for the feel of Harry Potter. Yeah. It really did start to go away from the book. It's the first book that we're going to have trouble lining up chapters to movie scenes, but <laughs> it still sure. gets the essence of it. It does. And, you know, I remember when he was announced as the director for Prisoner of Azkaban, and a lot of my friends automatically went to, oh, but he did Itu Mama Tambien. And that's a lot different from a children's movie. I mean, it's a lot, a lot different. different. So there was a little bit of trepidation and a lot of my friends would kind of harp on, but what's, what the hell's he doing with Harry Potter with, when he's coming off of E2 Mama Tambien for God's sakes. Like, because apparently once you do a movie like that, you can never go back. Obviously. Obviously. But you know, obviously. But I do remember that I would kind of be like, hey, but have you seen A Little Princess, though? Watch A Little Princess and tell me you're still worried. And we're saying that to you right now as well. If you have not seen A Little Princess. Yes, definitely. You should watch that. Go watch A Little because Princess. Because it's so good. I mean, Itu Mama Tambien is awesome, too. Don't get I mean, me wrong. yeah, watch that as well. But... Sure. But if you want something you can watch with your family, Little Princess is the way to go. Honestly. That is the way to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're looking for a girls' night movie... You two mama is your main squeeze there, but <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but yeah, Alfonso Cuaron and Baz Luhrmann are my two favorite directors of all time. Baz Luhrmann did the Romeo and Juliet with Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes. Oh yeah, and I love that stylized approach. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Alfonso Cuaron kind of did that gritty realism that this book kind of needed. Yeah, I agree. I love it. I just love it. And like we said, we're going to be making this a Potter pondering because we want your thoughts as well, especially since we know that not everybody is going to be as pro Alfonso Curon as we are. So yeah. we, we definitely want to keep your own opinions in mind as we go through this. So we're not trying to be biased here, but this is I would how. say we, we fully we are admit totally, that we are, we are biased. We are, but we're not trying to be, but we are. <laughs> it's coming naturally, uh-huh. if that helps. Like, it's not 
on purpose. It's just kind of how we are. We are we fangirl over this yes. movie and book. But speaking of Potter Ponderings, that will bring oh, us yeah. to the Potter Ponderings. And we have two this time. Mm-hmm. The first one being, what did you think about Harry's nighttime practicing of magic in the film? And, as we just said, what is your opinion on Alfonso Cuaron as the director for Prisoner of Azkaban? Find our post on the Facebook page and share your thoughts. We look forward to reading them. And this will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Chastity Rose Bowman. I didn't read Harry Potter growing up. It came out and became big in the U.S. when I was a teenager, and it was all the rage for my younger siblings. I didn't want to read their books, and I wasn't into fantasy. In my mid-twenties, I saw Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince with my youngest brother in theaters for his birthday. I came home convinced that there was more to Snape than met the eye. He had never finished reading the series, so that spurred him on to finish the series. A few years later, I bought the first movie to watch with my son, but he wasn't very interested. I was enthralled, and soon bought them all. I rewatched a lot. It wasn't until a few years later when, as an author, I wanted to start writing fantasy and decided I should learn from the queen of fantasy herself. The books were like a revelation. I read the books for the first time at age 30. I've reread a few times and am now reading the books to my kids. I love the fact that she went from, I'm not into fantasy to now I want to be a fantasy author right like that's an amazing magical transition right there it's such great character development right but I feel like (laughs) something like Harry Potter could really contribute to that and that's pretty incredible oh yeah well I mean look at all the people that start writing fan fiction right who maybe never thought about writing because of Harry Potter you know I love it yeah so thank you so much for sharing your story with us Chastity yeah if you'd like us to share your Sorting Hat story, email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your wand, the wood, core, and length, your Patronus, your house, and how you got into Harry Potter and any other information you'd like us to know. And that will bring us to this week's trivia question, which is, what institution does Vernon tell Marge they've sent Harry to? The prize for the first one who responds with a correct answer and the code word hashtag I've been beaten loads of times will get a bitch is a witch, motherfucker's a wizard, a just keep rolling, that's not how it happened in the book, that's not how it happened in the movie, or a pride sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us. If you are an Apple person, you can do it through the Apple Podcast or iTunes app. If you don't have Apple, you can write a recommendation on our Facebook page. Then email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we will get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. If you'd like to support us as a patron for extra perks, you can go to patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. You can also go to our website at justkeeprolling.com to check out our Just Keep Rolling and Harry Potter-related merchandise for sale, including our equality line that we will donate the proceeds from to the Trevor Project and the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund. We also want to give a shout-out to our patron, Max, because Thursday was his birthday. Woohoo! Happy fucking birthday, Max! <laughs> Happy fucking birthday, indeed. We appreciate you so much. Like, really, just so much. Definitely. 
and join us next week when we talk about Chapter 2, Aunt Marge's Big Mistake, and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just keep rolling. rolling.